Well, if you would turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Amos uh, chapter 7. Uh, in the church Bibles, that's page 922. Uh, and in the larger print Bibles, page 1433. Amos chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 9. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. This is God's word. I've called this sermon, Mercy Shown and Mercy Stopped. Mercy Shown and Mercy Stopped. A couple of months ago, uh, when we were on our holidays, uh, I saw a road sign that I had never seen before. And although it's been a long time since I've read the Highway Code, uh, I don't remember seeing it in the Highway Code. And I'll show you a picture of what it is. So this is what I saw. This actually isn't the one I saw. I couldn't find a a picture of, I didn't take a picture of it, obviously, because I was driving. Uh, this one, I think, is from America. Uh, but this is what is called a low-clearance structure. And as I was driving towards it, I was thinking, what on earth is this? And the answer came to me as I was driving under it and thinking, goodness me, if something bigger than me was to go under this, they're going to get hit by this uh, structure, this, the, the metal things hanging down. And of course, that is the point of this. It is a warning sign that a low bridge is coming up. And if your vehicle is hit by the rubber underneath, uh, the, uh, uh, underneath the metal there, you will not go under the bridge. 
And so you go under here, and if you get hit by them, there is a get out uh, just past it that you can go around and turn back. In addition to that, if you get hit by these and you wonder, oh, I wonder what this might be, uh, you also have a big sign on the bridge that says, don't come under the bridge. And if you choose to ignore that warning sign, then this kind of thing happens. This uh, picture was taken uh, just last year. It made the news simply because it's a B&Q van with you can do it written on it. And obviously, the van couldn't do that. And so what you have there is a, a warning sign, first of all, with the, the low uh, clearance structure. Then you have another warning sign. But if you choose to ignore both of those, then you're going to get stuck underneath the bridge. And that is basically some, a summary of what's going on in Amos chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. God works in this way with us. He warns us, and he warns us of his coming impending judgment. But if we don't turn around, if we just ignore the warning signs, even though you know, the ones that give us a jolt, the ones that are big flashing, then eventually we are going to face the consequences of our sin. Now even as Christians who will not face God's final judgment, God mercifully warns us, doesn't he, to repent of our sin. And if we choose to ignore God's warnings, his merciful warnings, then God will allow our sin to take us down devastating roots in our lives. We just sung in the, in the last hymn we sung that God uh, would lead us from sin's destruction. And sometimes God allows sin to be very destructive in our lives if we ignore the warnings against it. That's the message of Amos chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. There are two warnings of mercy, and then it is too late. Two warnings of mercy before it's too late. So we come here to a new section of Amos. Uh, we've been away from Amos for quite a while now, well, about a month or so. And the book of Amos actually is broken into three sections. You've got chapters 1 and 2 which are the oracles against the nations. Then in chapters 3 to 6, you have the focus on the judgment on Israel. And then beginning in chapter 7 to the end of the book, there are a series of visions, five of them, that show in pictures what God is going to do with his people. And there is a repetition in these final chapters of an important phrase. And the important phrase really is the first line of chapter 7, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. So God is showing Amos visions. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we read of the vision that Amos saw concerning Israel. So he sees visions. And there are five visions in all. There's the locusts, the fire, the plumb line, the basket of ripe fruit, and the fallen building. And those five visions give different pictures of what God is going to do with his people. And tonight we're going to look at the, the three visions of chapter 7, which speak of the mercy of the sovereign Lord. And the word sovereign Lord, that phrase, is important here. It speaks of God's rule over all things, his, his complete control over uh, everything. And in the book of Amos, up to now, up to chapter 7, uh, it's been used eight times, 
But in chapter 7 to 9, it's used 11 times, the phrase, the sovereign Lord. And so these visions are showing us how God rules in his world, specifically how he's ruling over his people here. And so what we see tonight is that God rules by showing mercy and by stopping mercy. So first of all, the sovereign Lord shows mercy in response to prayer. That's the first section, verses 1 to 6. And that's really the lesson of the two visions. Uh, Often, by the way, God repeats visions two or three times to confirm the lesson. So an example of that is in Genesis. uh, Pharaoh and Joseph both have dreams, and the dreams are repeated more than one time to confirm what God is going to do. A few weeks ago in the morning service, we looked at Acts chapter 10. Remember, Peter had the vision of the meat on the sheet. He was shown the vision three times. It was God showing Peter, I'm really going to do this. So I'm, I'm, I'm showing you this. You really need to get it. And the same kind of thing's going on here. Both of these first two visions teach the same lesson, and they have the same structure. So the structure goes like this. There is judgment deserved. There is prayer delivered, and there is mercy displayed. Judgment deserved, prayer delivered, mercy displayed. So let's look at that. Verses 1 to 2, we see judgment delivered. So let me read those verses again. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up. Let's just stop there a moment. So swarms of locusts would have been a natural disaster in these days. Uh, they, they didn't have a, a Tesco's to go down to get their, their shopping or whatever other, other supermarkets are available. Uh, but they would have got all of their food from their crops that they were growing at that particular time. And the ravaging of the crop would mean hunger for the people. But what makes this plague so devastating is the timing of it. Notice how it was after the king's share. Now, the king's share was probably some kind of tax, uh, probably the first fruits that were given to the king. But the locusts came as the late crops were coming up, and the, the, the king's share had been given, and it would have been just before the dry summer months when nothing else would grow. And so this would mean if the locusts destroyed this crop, there was nothing else for the people to eat they would have literally starved to death. And at the beginning of verse 2, we read how the locusts have stripped the land clean. So this is a complete devastation for the people. They're going to starve. There is nothing to eat. And this is the judgment of God upon his people for their sin. Notice the sovereignty of God here. It was he who prepared the swarms of locusts. This is no accident. It says in verse 1, he was preparing them. He's judging them for the sins of what's gone on in the previous chapters. And so here we're seeing an example of God's wrath. Now when we speak of God's wrath, it's not God having a temper tantrum. God's wrath is his settled reaction to sin. And God's wrath is deserved by everybody who rebels against him. That's all of us, isn't it? Everyone has sinned. Everyone has rebelled against God. All of us deserve his judgment. All of us need 
his mercy, the holding back of that judgment against us. And mercy is what Amos prays for in the middle of verse 2. So there's judgment deserved, and here we see prayer delivered. Look at what Amos prays. Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. Now, as far as Amos is concerned, if God is sovereign over bringing judgment, then he is sovereign over showing mercy. And so he asks the sovereign Lord to forgive the people. He's not asking for forgiveness based on anything. Notice he doesn't say, Lord, forgive them because they're not so bad. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive them because I know they've done all of this, but if you weigh up their good things, it kind of balances out. There's none of that. There's no deserving of mercy. He prays for God's mercy because he knows the Lord is a God for whom forgiveness is part of his character. That's been seen before. And so he asks God for mercy. But he also calls on God's compassion or pity. At the end of verse 2, he speaks of Jacob being so small. There's no way that little Israel can stand against the mighty judgment of God. They'll just be wiped out. They're so small in comparison to this great judgment. Surely, Amos prays, God, you will have compassion on, on your people. So he trusts in the character of God being a forgiving God and a compassionate God. And so we see after the judgments deserved and the prayers delivered in verse 3, we see mercy displayed. Look at verse 3. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. Well, what are we to make of the phrase here, the Lord relented? Uh, We read through the Bible that the Lord is immutable. That means he doesn't change. He doesn't change, he doesn't change his mind, his purposes. Is God changing his mind here? Is, has, Amos, has, he, has Amos twisted God's arm as he's prayed to God and, and made God change his mind? Well, no, that's not what's going on here. There is a depth here in relation to the, the plans and the purposes of God that are beyond our full understanding. Certainly God doesn't change his mind, but rather what's going on here is that God's plans and purposes is to work through the prayer of Amos. God showed mercy because Amos prayed, and God had planned it that way. The sovereign Lord has chosen to rule his universe and fulfill his purposes, which included here relenting from the judgment his people deserved through the prayers of his people. Prayer works. That's the message here. Prayer really does work. And if God works through the prayers of his people, then we should be a a people of prayer, should should we not? If we really believe that, that God answers prayer, then then we will pray, won't we? If we really believe this, then our prayer meetings would be full. And if God was beseeched, like Amos beseeches him here, by God's people all together in unison praying, we cannot even begin to imagine 
the amazing work that God can do through the prayers of his people. I believe we see here a call for God's people to pray. To pray for God's mercy to be shown to a people who are in rebellion against him. We must be a people of prayer. So I I again encourage you, as we've done many times, come to prayer meeting and pray with us and plead with God together for him to show his mercy. Now, this isn't a guarantee that if we pray, God will convert everybody we pray for. We'll, We'll see later that there is a time when mercy stops. But if it's through prayer that God works, not praying is not going to help anything at all, is it? But there's, there's another thought from this section that comes to mind, at least to my mind, about the mercy of God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was told by God, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That's what God said to him. And Adam and Eve ate of the tree. They rebelled against God. And they did die, but they did not die on that very day. They deserved to, but God showed mercy to them, didn't he? And so every day that we are alive is a mercy from God. Every single day that anybody is alive is a mercy from God. Every day that we have not faced his ultimate judgment is a day of mercy. Because that's what we deserve. And so, therefore, when we pray for mercy, and the person we are praying for has not yet received the final judgment of God, God is answering our prayers. Do you see that? He is answering our prayers for mercy. And so I encourage you to keep praying. Keep praying for those that you know that are not converted. Because every prayer that we pray is being answered. God is, he is a merciful God. He is showing mercy every single day that we are alive. And so keep praying because God does answer, answer prayer. You have no idea, we have no idea at all of the power of those prayers, of how God is using those prayers, even when we're not seeing the answers we might want or even expect. God is working and does work through the prayers of his people. Keep praying. So the mercy of God was shown so that there was more time for people to repent of their sins, more time to turn to God. And the fact of God being patient and giving more time is shown in that there is a second vision with a second display of mercy. So the pattern is repeated uh, in the second vision. So in verse 4, we see again judgment deserved. Verse 4, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Notice again, it is God who calls for the judgment. He's in control of it. The locusts, it seems, were like a natural disaster. Here we see something I I, I think is more supernatural. 
I think the image that should come to our mind is some kind of like nuclear holocaust where everything is dried up, including the water. It's a scene of, of total devastation. There appears to be more intensity, I think, to this judgment, indicating perhaps God getting the attention of the people more. A bit like the, the jolt hanging from the metal hitting the lorry. So it's, a bit, it's a jolt to listen. But nevertheless, we have here a vision of deserved but devastating judgment from the sovereign Lord. But again, look at verse 5. The prophet prays on behalf of the people. Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. There's no request for forgiveness here. This is, this is just a, a plea for mercy, a plea to, to stop the judgment. And again, this would give Israel more time to repent of their sin if God would, would hold back this judgment, if he would show mercy. Again, Amos is pleading with God, have compassion. This nation is so small. And again, verse 6 repeats verse 3, the Lord relents. However, in the phrase, this will not happen either, I think we see God's attribute of being slow to anger. He shows his mercy the first time, and now he shows his mercy again. As Amos is praying, again he's relying on the character of God. And, and this character is shown in Exodus chapter 34 beautifully in these, these words from chapter, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is God disclosing his character. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is what Amos believes. Amos believes that this is the God he's praying to. And, brothers and sisters, this is the God we pray to. He's still the same. He doesn't change. He's still the same compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, a God who forgives rebellion and sin. Now, you may not fully grasp how an unchanging God relents. The mystery of how God works through the prayers of his people may make your head ache. But understand this, God is a God who shows mercy. And he gives us time to repent of our sin and turn to him. And if you're here and you're still breathing, which I hope everyone is, then there is an opportunity for you now to turn to God and repent. There's an opportunity for you right now. The Sovereign Lord is showing you mercy. And he's shown us mercy most of all through Jesus Christ. The Lord looked to us in our rebellion knowing that we deserve to face his wrath and we will face it. But he had compassion on us. And Jesus Christ died in our place on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life with him. And so whilst there is yet time, seek his forgiveness and follow Jesus Christ. This is a moment of mercy that is being shown. 
Because as the third vision shows us, the patient mercy of God does not last forever. In the third vision, we see that the sovereign Lord stops mercy as a result of the plumb line. Uh, The commentator Matthew Henry speaks well of these verses. He says, We see here that God bears long, but that he will not bear always. God's patience, which has long been sinned against, will at length be sinned away. And the time will come when those who have been spared often will be no longer spared. That's really the point of verses 7 to 9. Look with me at verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Now, a plumb line is a tool of measurement to measure the straightness of a wall. It's similar in purpose to what we would use today, the spirit level. Uh, the spirit level shows if your shelf is, is straight. Well, in days gone by, uh, the plumb line is what would be used. And the wall is tested to see if it is sagging, in which case it may need to be pulled down for public safety. And then in the next part of verse 8, God says that he is the builder who is measuring. So look at the end of verse 8. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. So God is measuring his people to see if they are straight, if they are true to plumb. And what we find is verse eight, in verse 8 is that they are not true to plumb. And so God will spare them no longer. The time for mercy has come to an end. They've been measured and found wanting. And just like the sagging wall that needs to be torn down, so too his people will be wiped away. Now it's interesting to note in these verses what Amos doesn't do. He doesn't pray, does he? The first two visions he prays, this one, he doesn't. Why? Well, we don't know exactly the reason why, but here's what I, I think is happening, is that the first two visions contain no element of test. Here, God is measuring and the people are found wanting and Amos is aware, as they've been measured, that the time of mercy has come to an end. This is judgment day. The time is up. And that time, if we keep rejecting God's warnings, like the lorry that rejects the signs on the way to the bridge, that time will come to us as well. You can ignore God's merciful warnings, one of which, by the way, is this very sermon, is it not, as we open up God's word? You can ignore it, but you can only do that for so long before God will ultimately either stop calling you or you will die and face him. Ultimately, that will be at the end of your life, but you never know when that will be. There is a time when mercy stops. And so in verse 9, we see that the people are torn down. 
Uh, the two social institutions that they depend on, their religion and their monarchy, are going to be destroyed. Well, what is it that God's people are measured against? That's an interesting question to ask. They are measured against the law of God which they have been given. Their lives are held up against God's word. That's the plumb line. And that's the same for us as well. When the plumb line of God's word was applied to Israel, their corruption was exposed. And so too, if we're honest, is ours, isn't it? It's interesting to note in verse 8, that it's the first time in Amos that God uses the phrase, my people. The people of God in the New Testament are described as a spiritual building. That's who God's people are. And so as a church, as the people of God today, we are measured against the plumb line of God's word. And so we as a, as a church body, as God's people, must ensure that we are abiding by the word of God and measure ourselves against that. We do that by making sure that our, our practices uh, are in line with our reading of the scripture, how we do things. But our behavior as a church body must reflect the word of God. When, when sin is exposed in our body, we need to correct it, not ignore it. And as individual Christians in the body of Christ, as we come to God's word, we must reflect it if we claim to be his. And when we see God's word showing us our sin, which is a warning to us, we mustn't ignore the warning, but rather we must repent of our sin as it's exposed so that we are living according to the plumb line of his word. But the bigger problem that we all face is that none of us are found to be straight when the plumb line of God's word is applied to us. All of us have sinned. All of us deserve the judgment of God. And the mercy of postponement will not last forever unless we trust in the one who is found straight when measured by the plumb line of God's word. You see, Jesus Christ was measured and found perfectly straight. Every word of God in him is fulfilled perfectly. But interestingly, as Jesus was measured and found perfect, he, like a sagging wall, was torn down as he dies on the cross. Because he died not for his sin, but for ours. He was judged for us. And he was risen from the dead, defeating sin. And we've read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so I urge you to not ignore God's warning. Seek God's forgiveness today. 
Today, right now, is the time of mercy. Seek God's forgiveness. Seek him. And you will find the mercy that you need. And for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, I would encourage you not to let sin get a foothold in your life. Listen to God calling you through his word to repentance again. Don't let sin cause devastation in your life by ignoring the warnings of God against it. But here's some good news to end with. And we need some good news as we go through Amos because it's a very hard book, isn't it, with judgment. But as New Testament Christians, we read Amos with New Testament glasses on. Here's the wonderful thing. Brothers and sisters, we will find that when we read God's word and we measure ourselves against it, even as God's people, we fail. Every day, we fail. But when God applies the plumb line to the Christian for judgment, he measures Jesus. Isn't that good news? He measures Christ. When we see our failures, the plumb line of our failures is put on him. And wonderfully, the straightness of Christ is applied to us. And so we don't need to fear God's judgment. We need to follow his son. And so I urge you, repent of your sin today and live for Jesus Christ. And he, in his mercy, also equips us to do that by the power of his spirit. And wonderfully as well, tonight we we come to the Lord's table. And it's wonderful that as we come to the Lord's table, we come again to the place where we find the forgiveness of sin. And we come to the place again where we say to God, I confess my sin to you, O God, and I believe that Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sin, and I commit again this day to following you as my King and my Saviour. So we're going to sing before we come to the Lord's table uh, an old chorus which uh, most of you, I think, will know. Um, the, the chorus is, there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. So we'll stand together and we'll sing this uh, through twice before we come around the Lord's table together. <laughs>